It's a great day for another episode of the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. Thanks for joining me, Travis Lincoln Cox, here where we love to talk about improv, art, and creativity. This is another installment of our Artist Brain series where we grab our favorite artistic geniuses and pick their brains so that maybe someday we can level up like little improv Pokemons and become artistic geniuses ourselves. Today, we are very lucky to have the incredible Keiko Agena. You know Keiko from about a gajillion places. She's been improvising for years with teams like Ham Radio, Asian AF, and many others. You've also seen her many times in the little box in your living room. She played Rory's best friend Lane on Gilmore Girls, Pam Bradley on 13 Reasons Why, and she's currently playing Dr. Idrissa Tanaka on Prodigal Son. And if that isn't enough, she's also an incredible visual artist and she's written a book. It's called No Mistakes a workbook for imperfect artists. It's fantastic. In the book, Keiko takes improv philosophies like no mistakes, and in a very fun way, teaches us how to apply them to life and our creative process. Speaking of process, that's what this episode is all about. Keiko pulls back the curtain on her process as an improviser, as a writer, as an actor, and she shares with us how she does it. Please enjoy this Artist Brain interview with the incredible... Keiko Agena. You're listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Oh, so good. Thank you so much for doing this. It's like great to see you. Absolutely great to see you again. Are you still in New York right now? Yes, we leave um, tomorrow. You guys just wrapped season five of Prodigal Son, right? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> Damn, I wish it was season five. Oh, wait, no, season three. Two. Season two, season two. I'm just putting it out there, Keiko. Ma- he's manifesting. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that much. Dude, it's a great show and you're great on it. Yeah, give it 10 seasons, man. Live it. Live it up. What was your last day on set like? Was everybody like cute and hugging each other and stuff? A little because, you know, it's staggered. So people are sort of every every so often it's somebody's last day and you're not there for everybody's last day. So you sort of get these texts and things and we don't know if we're coming back. So it's just this weird thing of like everybody just saying, oh, no, I'm going to see you in a couple months. Don't worry about it. But then also, no, I might never see you again. You know, and everybody's just emotional because it was such a hard thing to film with all these coronavirus restrictions. I think it was just stressful. And so people were just trying to survive sort of till the end of the season. And then you don't know whether to feel happy to celebrate or be sad or grateful. It's just like this mix of all of these things and you're not able to celebrate to get like, there's no party, you know, we, this whole time for us, at least we didn't have like, because we couldn't have a rap party. And when we have, couldn't have a season start party, we can't have a rap party with each other after this. So it's just, it feels a little disjointed to be honest, mm-hmm. but it's so it's, I'm so glad that they're, that we like each other. <laughs> Absolutely. That meant, you that's, know, that's like a gift. Difference. Yeah. <laughs> right? Were the COVID restrictions and stuff like pretty crazy? Are you vaccinated? When I come back to LA, I have my appointment. Gotcha. Are you guys all vaccinated? Yeah, I'm. I am now. Yeah. You guys are all, all, both of them. I've had both. I only got one so far. My next is like in a week. That's yeah. so great. Oh my god, do you feel like superheroes? Yeah, I feel in. I totally feel invincible. 
I like saw some other like some other vaccinated friends over the weekend and was like, huh, want to touch you and put your mouth on my mouth. I mean, I didn't, but I just I like it, there's the feeling is like I can do anything and I'm I'm really happy. My anxiety has lifted a lot. I know that's got to be like such a wild feeling. <laughs> I want to feel that. I want to feel that so bad. You're so yeah. close. I know. I really am. I really am so close. I went to this uh, small oscars party with a couple of vaccinated friends last night and it was such a surreal experience i think everyone was feeling so much joy and at the same time like you could tell that everybody spent a lot of time alone recently oh, you know no. <laughs> so it was like a little awkward everybody was kind of reintegrating to like managing other people's energies which was really kind of sweet it's almost like do you guys remember when zooming was super super awkward yeah and now it sort of feels a little <laughs> normal that awkward energy of like i don't know how to talk to you or what to do with my hands or like i especially don't know how to talk to strangers anymore i'm like if i don't know you i don't even know what to do <laughs> not all of my life all right. Well, I mean, not to say like we're we're already talking, but in a, yes. in an official capacity, thank you for being here. I can't. I think you're such a you're such a talented actor and a beautiful improviser. So I can't wait to pick your brain about both of those things. So thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. Do you mind telling us like when you discovered improv? I don't know if I've heard this story before. Sure. I took a class at the Groundlings and I can't remember the exact year, but it was while I was still on Gilmore Girls. So it has to be like, I'm guessing like 2005. I'm sure I had seen uh, shows before I took a class, but that was when I first performed improv was that class show and then led more than a decade of frustrating performances and great and terrible classes and thousands of dollars <laughs> invested <laughs> into the insanity that is improv. Uh, yeah. So that's where it started. That's the most honest improv story I've ever heard. Be like, I fell into this thing and then I spent a bunch of money on it. Like it's a cult. <laughs> it, it is right. Isn't it kind of, it is, it's just a good cult. I, in my opinion. I love hearing that it was frustrating too, because I've been talking to my friends getting into golf and there's something addicting about not being good at it, but really knowing you could be good at it. Like it's just so close. So then you have to keep going back and doing it again. And I kind of felt like my first steps in improv were like that, where I would do a show and I'd be like, that wasn't what I wanted to do, I, I have to try it again. And it was sort of this like frustrating addiction. Do you know what the, the terrible lie is about improv? You always feel like you're just so close to nailing it perfectly. <laughs> you, and like from when I started to like yesterday, you just like, but I'm so close to just feeling like the best improviser in the world, clearly, right? If I just could spend one more thousand dollars on classes, I know I can nail it. It feels like it's like you're almost touching brilliance. That's the, that's the big lie about improv. And then you have random moments of brilliance and then it just keeps you in for another couple of years. Yeah, those one or two great shows will yes. sustain you for another yes. two or three years while you chase that feeling again. It's it's like being in an abusive relationship. <laughs> oh, you know, shoot. you get a little bit of praise yes. and then you're like, mm -hmm. okay, I have to come back while it hits me in the face and wait and wait. Damn, this is getting real honest real fast, guys. Oh, At least that's my, that's, that, that's my abusive relationship with improv. I still love it, 
but it's true. I definitely feel that, like Travis said, there were so many years where I was like, I know I'm a better actor than this, but for some reason, once I get on stage and I'm doing improv, I have blinders on and I can't access informa- emotional information. Inte- like, yes. Like, you are in a lot of mediums. You're great on stage. You're great on camera. You're a writer. Your art is wonderful. I want an original at some point because I just, <laughs> I love your style. So doing all these different mediums, do you feel like there's things that you're like, oh, I know as an artist, I can access this kind of creativity, but I have to learn the medium before I'm able to? Do you find anything that like overlaps or things that you have to leave behind in order to participate in a new medium successfully? That's a good question. I think in some ways being good at art is being able to access a certain side of you and trusting your gut. So I think there's some, there are some things that overlap. I do think that each sliver of even within improv, there every little genre within comedy or improv is is a different skill too. So in that way, it's deceptive. Just because you might be good at writing, it doesn't necessarily translate to improv. Doesn't necessarily translate to multi camera. Doesn't necessarily translate to to single camera. And so it's a sort of a yes and no answer. But then the other thing that I've sort of learned as as I've gotten as I've spent more time in it is that you can, some things that I've invested time in that felt like a a waste of time have, have kind of bubbled up later in life. Tasha was so great to participate in a, in a reading that I did with a a pilot that I wrote. And what I've, what I found is that a lot, because improv is writing and it's just writing on the spot. And some of that uh, I think is coming, is paying off a little bit late, much, much later on in my life in a, in a, in a kind of structured um, way that I did not think that they were necessarily so uh, connected. The pilot, the pilot's very good, by the way. I just wanted to throw throw that out there into the world. It's really funny and really, really great. Thanks. Um, that, that, that reading helped a lot. And I actually changed a lot since, since you last read it, but in any case. Yeah, that's really interesting that some stuff sort of got buried. And then maybe years later, you're like, oh, that skill's kind of coming back up. Yes. Um, And also the idea, too, that there's different, even within different genres, you can have skills. Because, you know, we actually were just talking the other day about narrative improv because we're so, I mean, we're so like flowy flower children on stage that I feel like often it's not, it doesn't feel like a one act play or anything. And that that's like a skill that I'm like, I think I want to build that skill because especially now that I'm writing more, it feels like story structure versus, you know, like the emotional depth between two characters in a moment just feel like they feel separate in my brain or like just different skills. You're, you're kind of waiting for them to kind of connect. Yes. I'm, I'm waiting for them to touch each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's your writing process like? Do you kind of uh, slip it in when you can, or do you have any kind of structure for that? I sort of get obsessed with different things at different times. So there was a point in my life when I was drawing a lot, and then I would just spend hours and hours drawing. And then when I wrote a book, I sort of just spent hours and hours doing that. And then so now it's I, I spend a lot of time writing the, the script because uh, I started a, actually 
while I'm letting people read that pilot, I was like, oh, well, I have time. Maybe I'll start another one. So, so I'll just, just stay with it. It just sort of becomes an obsession. But it, there's, it isn't as structured, maybe. Well, that's good, though, because then if you're obsessed, you're just motivated to do something. Like, you don't have to think about, I mean, I, I feel like I'm constantly trying to get myself to do things that maybe I don't actually want to do because I'm like, all right, Monday through Friday, I'll do this, this and this or whatever. Yeah. But if you're just obsessed, it's like you're like a kid again and you're like, I just want to pick that thing up. I just want to. You know what I'm starting to wonder now? I'm wondering now if the reason that we get better, that anybody gets better at anything is because is because of time. So there's a couple of different ways to do it. Some people are really good about, well, just sit down at the computer, at the drafting table, whatever, and just spend the time and and do do it that way. Or if you really enjoy something, then just do it because you're obsessed and pass the time that way. I think it depends on what kind of person you are. But I do think it's a time game. And and I think that people who really get to, will develop any kind of skill is just because they are interested. It's interesting enough to them that they're willing to that they want to spend the time doing it. What do you think? Does that what do you guys think about that? As you were talking, I, because I, I, I think I'm similar to Tasha, where I'll try, sometimes I'll try to like force a schedule because I feel like I need to be getting stuff done. And then other times it's almost like I'll get this like wave of inspiration where I'm excited and I'm motivated and interested and I've got ideas and I'm sort of in the zone. And for me, when I'm in that zone, I just kind of want to ride that wave for as long as I possibly can. And then it will probably go away or maybe a different wave will come. And I'm finding that for myself, that the this repetition of a schedule is still useful in like the same way of like maybe going to the gym is useful. But I do like, I create my art as pretentious as that sounds when I'm in writing that wave more so than when I'm like forcing a schedule. That totally makes sense to me. It's I love that feeling of being like, I'm so into this thing. And that happened with improv where like there, there was a time when you're like, I'm at the theater every night, like whether I'm playing or watching, I just want to be here and no one's making me. I'm just like, I can't stay away. But I noticed that for myself, if I don't, I'll have like a little seed of interest, but there's like a hump that I have to get over in order to get to that place. And that usually is where structure more structures required for me to be like no yeah you are gonna go to that class you are gonna pay that thousands of dollars to go to that class you know and I have I have resistance to it and then if I can push myself over the edge I'll get I'll get lost in something you know you know what else I've uh I've, I've I'm starting to get into right now for myself is um I, I've done yoga for a, for a really long time and recently especially during quarantine my husband and I have made it a daily practice. And so it's not long, but it's a half hour a day and it's every day. And there is something that has happened with this daily practice that has never happened to me before, where because some of the moves are similar, there you, you almost get into that flow side of your brain where, yes, you're thinking about what it is you're doing, but you're also... Um, it's not stressful. I don't know. It's a different, mo- there's a different almost vibration that's going on. And there's, there are these little pockets of expansion and growth that I've found that has only happened because it's something that I do daily. So I'm, I've, I've actually, I'm at this point right now, I'm trying to find how can I take that idea 
into other aspects of my life where it's something very small, but that I can do it repetitive, repetitively every day so that my brain not shuts off, but it's, it can get better at that thing, but it doesn't have to like, it doesn't take like a hundred percent of my brain power. And also if I fuck up, it doesn't matter because I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Oh, I really like that. Yeah. I love that. That's okay. I'm definitely going to steal that because the idea that it's pocket sized, like it's 30 minutes, it's daily, but it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not boot camp or something. So you can manage it, I think is uh, related to what you said about time, because I think the gestation period in between when you're like actively working at something aids your growth so much more than I think we can even comprehend those aha moments that come in the shower, for example, it's like you rest and then your brain, your subconscious is like, this is what's going on. You know, there's this author I'm obsessed with, Josh Waitzkin, who he's like also like a coach and he talks about kind of the idea of ending mid-sentence so that you can then like have an important question on your mind, put it away. And then when you go to bed, like let your subconscious work relax and all of that. And then when you come and pick it up, you know, mid-sentence that your subconscious has done a bunch of work in the meantime. And so I like love the idea of doing something for 30 minutes. Like if I could just like have a practice of like yoga or writing just every single day, but that's bite-sized and just to like let my subconscious do the work, I think it's like, that's so cool. I'm going to steal, I'm going to copy you. What about you, Pish? Do you feel like you are intrinsically motivated to do certain things? Absolutely not. It's It feels <laughs> it's complete chaos. From day to day, it's just, it's a grab bag of whatever I can pull on to get some modicum of work done. It's just a chaos. It feels like World War One. like I'm just trying not to hit a landmine and make it to the next part of the front before I get shot. <laughs> Kego, I'm curious as we're talking about like the repetition of things and and how that allows you to grow. You, you know, you've had the opportunity to have repetition in your acting when you're on these shows that kind of go on for multiple seasons. Do you find that the repetition of playing the same character allows for that same type of flow? I personally love television more than film or I get ex- more excited about uh, like, let's say a television audition than film. And that I might be the only actor in the world, but because I love television, I love watching. I'm, I, I love a character that comes into my home and that I can spend years with. I'm that kind of person. Like I want to know you not for two hours. I want to know you for six years. And also I just, I feel like I want to find all of the nooks and crannies with a person. And also because I get really, really, really sad when characters end. And this is a real problem for me because in an audition, a character will end after three minutes with the casting agent. Like that's all that that character lives. And, but I still have the same sadness as as any other character. So it's a real problem. So the, the reason why I like the idea of television or any long kind of format is that it, that, that character doesn't die soon. You just kind of you get to know them and invest in them and you kind of get, they kind of get to hang around with them. So I guess in that way, it's in, in the big box structure of it, it's, it's nice to have growth. I think that what I'm trying to do is try to find some... It, type of process for myself when I do go to work though, because even though I'm going onto a set where I'm a series regular, 
I feel it's funny how, uh, how, how you said that, uh, about like World War One. Like I feel like I'm, it's always chaotic to me. I'm always filled with pressure and I like, I, it never, nothing ever feels normal. It, it just, it's always just a lot. Cause every, every, every scene has its own different challenges. So I feel like I have to meet the challenge of what this scene is asking me to do. So I, I'm trying at this moment actually to try to develop a, a system for myself that feels comfortable and that does have a feeling of repetition so that there, it's not just chaos all the time. I'm getting there. It sounds like improv like you're like new challenge new show don't know what to expect even if it's down on paper it's still happening for the first time in the last time yes which is i think you know cool and your skill set probably comes into play have you thought about what that system is and like what the details of that are in any way yeah yeah i mean i i write it down i have books that i, I have notebooks where i will yeah, where I break it down. I mean, it's a lot. So, <laughs> well, is there any is there any like tidbits that you could share? You don't have to, but oh, I'm sure. just like, I'm really interested. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I will. Um, I will start talking. If it's too much, you can stop me. Great. It won't be. <laughs> it won't be. <laughs> so I have a very uh, the very first thing I need to do is the memorization. And I know it sounds like such a boring thing, but if I don't have it completely solidly memorized, then you can't do any of the fun stuff. And I think the danger is that people and myself, you start to memorize with while you're doing the acting work and it gets attached to the acting work and then you can't separate it and then you can't play. And I need to have at least two nights because like what we're talking about of the subconscious um, absorbing it, it needs at least that much of sleeping time to actually get it set. So once the, the nuts and bolts, as much as I can separated from emotion and memorization is locked down, then I can start to play with, with all the fun stuff. And what I found is that very early morning, sometimes especially when I'm in bed, and once I have the words, then I don't have to look at a script and I can play with the scene in my mind or I'll start running it. And that's when a lot of things will, will happen in those kind of, kind of quiet moments. I have in the past gotten down to really uh, script uh, thoughts on the script. And sometimes I'll do that if I'm really struggling. Another thing I, I will do if I have time, especially if I'm very attached to something, I will do like fuck up takes, like takes where, especially if I really, really care about a scene, because that's a dangerous thing, is that you really, really care about a scene, you really, really think you know how it's going to go, and you get too attached to it, then you're not exploring when you're on set. Then you're just giving them some mashed potatoes bullshit that you worked out at home, and you're not alive. What I try to do at home is to just do like stupid stuff that you'd never do, like a Valley Girl accent, or you read it like Dracula, or you give yourself some like, oh, that person is my uncle that I hate now, you know, just to get yourself out of your head. And it's, what's funny is you'll find, you'll usually find a different point of view. So that's some of the stuff that I'll do before I actually get on set. And now once I get on set, I have a, a sort of process that I'm trying to do now where at least on our show and a lot of television, you only have a certain amount of rehearsal time before the camera's up. So it's usually maybe three really. So the first one is just reading the words out loud. So I will have my script in hand 
And I will just attempt to read the words with the other actors and try my best not to not to bring in my homework, at least if, if I can. So that's the first reading. Then I will put my script away, my, my sides away, because then we're going to try to put it on its feet, quote unquote. So the director will have you, they will try to map out the blocking. And so then I will think, okay, what am I doing physically? What are the props that I need to do? This is another thing where I try to, I'm a little bit of a pain in the butt, I think maybe, because I ask a lot of questions during the rehearsal process. And I, and I, I want the props actually that I'm going to use. I don't want to wait till the cameras are up. I want during that one little minute when we're trying to block it out, I want to have, well, what are my actual files that I'm going to have? What is the pen I'm going to use? What is the physical action and work that out? Cause you're only going to get like one run through with that. Then once we have that, they usually have, they might want to just start doing the, you might get one more before we start or a couple more right before you, they, they, they're actually ready to uh, bring you back to the master. And so at that point, then I'm just trying to make that connection with the other actors. So that's the third one. Now I have all my stuff. I have all my lines. Let me try to open up my gut and feel what's 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 happening there. Now I have 15 minutes or whatever while they're light. So in that little chunk of time, then I can work through it. I'm working through in my mind, what is the blocking that I have? You can solidify all of your lines because now you know physically where you're going to be in space. You can run it through in your mind so that when you do that first master, you are set. I don't know if everybody's like this, but as soon as if, if, if I do the master quote unquote wrong or with a choice that I don't like, I know that I'm sort of married to that take. Maybe, maybe people are like, well, they can use whatever, but then I'm like, no, but I, I picked up my cup on that line and I'm going to have to match it. It just, it just fucks with my head. So I ask a lot of questions before I drive <laughs> probably the director a little bit nutty, especially if they don't know me because I ask a lot of questions, but then once the first master is done, then I'm not going to ask any questions because I've already, because whatever I'm doing in that first master, I'm going to match to that. Does that make the, does that make the master feel like opening night of a show? You know what I mean? Where it's like, that's like the sort of like magic, the unexpected is allowed to happen. Yes. In a way, especially with COVID times, because it's the first time you're taking your mask off. It's a really weird thing. Cause we would do all of those rehearsals with masks on, which is in itself a really weird thing. Cause you're trying to connect with someone <laughs> with this thing on your face, but yes, it's that kind of, and this is where I think all of the improv stuff comes into is that, yes, physically I have to match what I did in, in the master, but point of view wise and even comedic takes, I feel like should be different every, every time. Because I, I, at least in the, I haven't always been like this also, this is just for this show, but I, I almost sort of feel like I'm trying to entertain the editor where I want to give the editor so many different takes and let he or she have to choose and carve out my performance. I want actually them to have more power in a way than I've let other editors on other shows have. I want to give them everything and let them pick out what how they want to carve out this character to be. So in between any continuity concerns, you're like trying to fill that blank page with just like a bunch of options. I mean, it kind of, I mean, it explains you're really funny on the show. So I was like, <laughs> this, ex I feel like it explains because they probably have like a lot of really good things to work from. That's awesome. Watching the show, I'm like, man, 
like Keiko always feels it's like fresh, feels alive. Like the moments feel so genuine and spontaneous and they're very funny. So it's cool to hear this process because the results are very good. Oh, thank you. And then, okay. And then I'll, then this will be the end for the whole process thing. The thing that I need to get better at now is how to come down off of the high of a workday. I take, I, I shouldn't, but I do, I consume more caffeine and I consume more sugar when I, when I film and the emotions are really high. And I actually have a t- hard time decompressing after a shoot day, especially sometimes if it goes really well. So I'm trying to have a certain consistent ritual that I do so that that coming down process is a little smooth. Do you guys ever feel like that? Like after a really good show, you're like, oh, we got to go eat. We got to go drink. We got to go eat like fried foods to just like chill the, f- the fuck out. Right. Oh, so much. So. Absolutely. It's like your, your adrenaline's high. You don't, you're like, I don't even know what just happened, but like I'm in a, such a mood. I know I already mentioned Josh Waitskin and I'm sure our listeners are annoyed by this point. Cause I feel like I mentioned this book every day of my life, but <laughs> You should read The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. He talks about, I mean, I'll send it to you. I think I might even have an extra copy, but he has a like a mentor who's this, you know, martial arts champion. And they talk about how before competitions, he'd just be like asleep in the bleachers. And people would go get him and be like, he's asleep. He has to compete. And they'd poke him. He'd come, kick ass, and then kind of like go lay back down. And so Josh talks about building triggers before competing or performing, but also to turn off. And he's mm. like, the, the, you know, the faster you can turn on and off, the more you're conserving energy. And like that process, it's just like the reverse of warming up for a show to like decompress. I am definitely going to read that because I need that. Because it's funny, I, it reminds me of like, I did this, I think it was called, uh, oh, what was this show called? I can't remember it, but it was one of these kind of like CSI type of shows. And it was earlier in my career and I played someone who had, was sexually assaulted. And, um, I would, I was just, I was so scared that the emotion wouldn't be there when we had to film that I kind of kept myself there. Like from when I first showed up, I was kind of like, you're trying to keep yourself in this emotionally vulnerable state for like four hours. Yeah. That's exhausting. But that's that that was my skill set back then. And that's the only that's what I just had to do to be close to the emotion, I guess. Did you ever find yourself, you know, because of the timing of whatever's going on on set, like holding it and then like letting it go? Or like, do you now just be like, I'm just wait until you're standing there to whatever it is, access that vulnerability? Or like, how's your process changed from that time? Yes, my process is very different now because before this show, I would hold on to too much. I get to act with some amazing people. And that's the other thing. I have to just say, stop it. <laughs> like, Just stop with your stuff that you're bringing in. Whatever homework you did or didn't do, it's too late now. You either put all those goodies in your emotional basket before today or you didn't. There's nothing you can make happen right now. So shut up and look at this person and pay attention to what it is that they're saying and bringing you and, and, and discover nothing that I had rehearsed at home by myself is going to be as good as a moment that I discover off with this other person, nothing. And I get really attached to certain ideas, but, and and that's hard to convince myself because I think I'm so brilliant, you know, (laughs) you're like, Oh my God, I'm so brilliant. 
It's so hard to let go of that idea. So it's like you're prepping and, you know, you find all these things for your goodie basket. And then once you get there, you're like, all right, well, if if me and my partner end up eating out of the basket, that's great. If we don't, that's great. But like my, I already did the work and now I just like need to be with this person. Yeah, it's that risk. But I think that's the thing about improv that teaches us that sense of... You don't know. Like, that's the whole excitement. Before you get on, go on stage, you're like, fuck it. I don't, I have no idea. You know, you rehearse with each other, you know each other, and that's all you can know. And then everything else is just what happens right in the moment before you open your mouth. It's that same, it should be that same kind of feeling. I think it's hard for um, scripted actors to surrender to that feeling. Yeah, the I have no idea yes. what's about to happen. None. That's like my favorite thing to think before I get on stage because it like really like gets me excited in a positive way. Yeah. That I'm like, this is like a roller coaster, man. It's so fun. Yeah. That principle too is a very improv thing of do the work, rehearse, prepare, be ready, and then let it go. Yes. I mean, in improv rehearsal, it's like, well, we're practicing slowing down or we're practicing gifting each other, or whatever it is we're practicing. But the second you go into a scene, being like, okay, I got to remember to do these things I'm working on, then your scene is dead. So right. that's a good muscle to work. And I think I, I always, you know, my theater professors in college would kind of teach those same things of like, okay, we did three months of rehearsal. Now just go out there and feel, but very much in the film jobs I've had, that has been a lot harder to attain. So that's a good reminder that even when you're only on set for three or four hours at a time or whatever, you still need to let go of your work and just be present. Yes. And do you feel like sometimes, a lot of times it's harder when you're stepping onto someone else's set too, because there's so much pressure on you to do it correct, quote unquote, correctly and not mess up their jam, right? Yeah. Well, you're inevitably, they're running an hour behind and they only have a couple takes and like you, so there's this pressure of like, oh, if I'm truly playing, like, what if I mess up? Yeah. I remember this adjunct professor I had for like, like came in for one class and left. Um, But he said like one piece of advice that I like really liked, which was that he's like, you know, when you're going into an audition, like you just got to remember that this, this tiny space surrounding your performance is like yours in every single way. And so I've like found myself stepping on sets where, you know, maybe they are pressured for time or it's people who work in a different way than you. And to even if it's in the smallest way to like create that space around what you're doing, whether it's before the take or after to just be like, but this once it's going, this is my space. So I get to do the work the way that I know that I'm capable of, I'm going to bring great stuff to the table as far as I, you know, can, even if everything else is World War One or just like crazy chaos, you know? Yes. So yeah, feels like an audition in that way. Like if you're not like fully like vibing with everyone to just be like, but this part's mine. Yes. Yeah. Keiko, you ask great questions. Do you want to just like come be on the show with us all the time? <laughs> I'm like, oh, great question. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I will be with you in spirit, hovering over. Mm. Bless us. Do you remember the last improv show you did before COVID-y times? Yeah, I did one in New York with some people that I don't regularly perform with, but they were New York Asian AF uh, people. I don't know if it was an official Asian AF show. I think that was the last show that I did. And the one before that, I did a... Um, 
a show with a friend of mine that I met out here, Andy Schneeflock, who we did a, what, what we termed the breakup show, which was a two person show all about a, uh, a breakup and then what, uh, what happens before and after. It was a time jump uh, that was over around a breakup. Have you spent a lot of time in the New York scene for improv? Um, a, t- a tiny little bit. I mean, mostly through UCB because when I first got it here for Prodigal Son, I had a lot of, I mean, I still have time. So I took a lot of classes out at the New York UCB and started to perform a bit and then do some hosting duties with the Asian AF out there. So, so a smidgen. And, but now they're closed. I mean, so many things, so many things have changed because of COVID. So I don't know what's going to happen after. I know a lot of people have done, have you guys done a Zoom improv? I know a lot of people have done it. I haven't done it. Yeah, we've been doing it. How do you like it? It's not the stage, but it also scratches that itch. And we've definitely found a lot of like fun things together for sure. It very much felt like, uh, the beginning days of of stage improv where like none of us knew what we were doing and we sort of had to relearn just the the basics of improv. And then again, like we were talking about, we had one show where we were like, whoa, did you guys feel that? That was so cool. It totally worked. And then we had like six shows that were terrible. And then we get one, one show where, where it worked and it was, so we're, I think we're still sort of chasing. We're in an abusive yes. relationship with Zoom yes. improv. Yes. That's, I really feel, I really feel that. <laughs> You know what they say, chasing storms ain't free. So please enjoy this quick message from our sponsor and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by RY Originals, whole plant, vegan CBD vitamins that are full of healthy, purposeful vitamins, minerals, and herbs. Hemp is more nutrient dense than broccoli and berries. It's a superfood. For some reason, every other CBD product extracts and isolates the CBD from the plant, leaving all the nutrients behind. But RY says, not today, nutrients. You're coming with us. By lightly baking the hemp powder and mixing it in with other natural vitamins and minerals, RY creates a perfectly healthy and perfectly balanced experience. So not only do they make you feel good, they are also really good for you. They're double lab tested and activated without extraction, which makes them truly original. RY Originals has crafted four unique blends. They've got Better Mood, Pain Lift, Sleep Tight, and Original Blend, all of which are available right now at shop.ryoriginals.com. That's S-H-O-P dot R-Y-O-R-I-G-I-N-A-L-S dot com. So check them out today and don't forget to use discount code STORMCHASER at the checkout to get 420 off every bottle. RY Originals. Eat your greens. Keiko, I have a question and maybe we'll kind of get into your book a little, no mistakes, but it's kind of around the process of being comfortable with whatever work you've brought on the day, owning that that's enough. Because I think, I'm speaking personally here, that I think I can get in my own way so often when I get to the day and I tell myself what I'm bringing is not enough. And then that infects not only that day, but it infects the week afterwards when I feel like I underperformed. Yeah, it's brutal. 
I mean, it is that I know that feeling. It makes me want to tear up right now. I know that feeling that week after of just like, and it's funny because you'll like forget. And then you'll have like this, this like, it lives like a sharp pain in your brain that says like, you fuck up. You know, you're like, you said what? Why, why are you so dumb? What? You're an idiot. Um, uh, yes, it's, it's the worst. It is the worst. I don't really have a great answer for it. I don't know how to prevent the feeling ahead of time. Now, at this point, I need to have a process of closing that back up, taking care of myself, mental care and whatever process that I can and be grateful for what I have learned from it. Because the pain comes because we can feel the difference. There's only pain because you know what you're capable of or you think you know what you're capable of. Because if that was the best you could do, you wouldn't feel any pain. You only, you only feel pain because you're like, I'm better than this. They are not seeing what I am capable of. I am not delivering what I'm capable of. So that gap has something to teach you. So try to take away the knowledge from that and not the, um, the, the words that your brain is telling you of what an idiot you are. Because if the gap is big, that means you know a lot. You know all of the things that you could have done. So, so analyze it. Just be like, okay, well, how can I, how can I work on that? What is a process that I can build to teach myself that skill? Cause I wasn't, cause I wasn't present that day. I wasn't in my body that day. I wasn't listening as good that day because you are enough. You know what I mean? You as a person are enough and your talent is enough. So it's a matter of what, it, what were you bringing that day that was getting in the way between who you are and what they were able to see. I love that. It's like closing off the doors of being self-defeating so, and then allowing yourself to be proactive in taking what you've seen of yourself and your process forward to learn new skills or set yourself up differently the next time. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> Have you ever had the pain of opportunity cost where there was like maybe two projects or shows or whatever it is that you were like, oh, I want to work on this and I want to work on that. I can't do both and I have to choose. No, I would really? love that. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what world are you living in? No, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't yell at you. Um, no, I just, you know, it's something that came up recently that I was like, oh, I, I just, uh, I don't deal well with having to choose between things. And I was like, Somebody's got to have good advice on this. What was it? Was it like two two performancey type things? Yeah, like if you were like, oh man, I really want to like be on that set and that set. Oh. But I guess you know that is a good problem to have. It's not one that I have right now, currently, for the record. I just, yeah, um, I get very pained about saying no to things that I want to do. Yeah, no, I I get that. I don't have that pain as often as I would like. I would love to have that pain. That sounds like a fun pain. <laughs> I got, I've got a script you could say no to if you want. No, no worries. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email. <laughs> well, I'll be like, this is a pain we want. Bring this opportunity cost. Yes. yes. <laughs> Let me frame the question a little bit differently, though, because it seems like you have a lot of different ways in which you are creative and a lot of different works that you bring into the world. And I imagine there's, for every work that you do bring into the world, you probably have, you know, several others that you haven't gotten to. Are there ways that you make peace with not doing things because it's not right for you at this moment? I do think one thing that I'm getting better at, and then maybe this is with old age, is those gut checks. 
Do you guys find that as you get older, you're like, I know though, something in you is going, yeah, but you know the answer to that. You know, you know why this is right for you now. And you really need to let go of that. Don't you, don't, don't you think that? Yes. That's the answer. I've actually been thinking about that. I've been thinking about that a lot recently because I think I've always been someone who's had an idea of what I've wanted and it's been an intellectual thing. Ah. And it's been the times in my life where I've followed my gut feeling where I feel like I've gotten the best reward. Like it's felt the best for me, but I feel like I'm still learning how to get better at that. And it's such a intuitive process that's hard to kind of like, you know, it's it's just a feeling. And to say you're trusting a feeling is such a scary thing that I feel like most a lot of people might think you're crazy to say you're trusting a feeling. How does that hit you in your body, those kind of intuitive feelings? Is it like an actual physical sensation in that space? I feel like sometimes that's why we like talk about like, you know, it's a gut feeling because it sometimes is like an actual feeling in your in your in that space in your body where you're just like ah just something there is telling me i think there's a little bit of a physical unease but there's also like um there's a kind of mental chatter that i might be starting to recognize there's a certain kind of chatter that's that is trying to guilt you into doing something that I that I'm starting to recognize what that sounds like, what that what those word that mental word those words sound like, and go like, no, I remember that that doesn't feel good. Like then then I start doing things out of this guilt, and and I actually if I fuck up more, like I I just don't like that feeling. I don't like when I when I follow through on those those uh, directives, those internal directives when I'm, where it's a little funky, but I'm like, oh, I'll just kind of push through it. It doesn't feel good, but I'll push through it. And then I'm always like disappointed. I'm always like, oh, I shouldn't have, that was not right. You know, it just, it feels weird. It looks weird. I'm embarrassed. I just don't, I'm not proud of what I'm doing. So, so I think it's just learning about what that sounds like, because I, I feel like there's maybe a difference between there's a difference between feeling like I have to do something because this is an opportunity that I, that I can't let go of. I, I do I do know that where I will work very hard if there's something that opens up and I go, oh, fuck, you got to you got to jump on this because this this window might be very small. And you better work your ass off to to make this happen. That's a different sound than than the nagging kind of like you should do blah, 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 because blah, blah, blah. And he's doing blah, blah, blah. And you're, you know, I don't know. They just sound different. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like when I feel like obligated to do something and I'm like the guilt of being like, you should do this is not you want to though. No. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes when you may not have that positive gut feeling about something, but you know you have an opportunity, you know intellectually, like, this is going to be good for me and I'm going to take my medicine by putting in the hard work to do this thing. Like, it's different, right? You know, that the sound is different. Because it's, because it's, not, it's not that I don't ever want to do things that are uncomfortable or scary that, or that I'll fail at. It's not that. It's, that. it's that medicine thing. It's like, that sounds different when it's something that you know you have to do even that you, if you fail because this is an opportunity and I recognize it. Whereas the other thing of bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. 
That's a good skill to have to be able to recognize that. I feel like I, I recognize it about two weeks too late. <laughs> <laughs> Where I'm already in it and I'll go, oh, yeah, this was. You're like, wait a minute. How did I yeah. get here? What yeah, is this? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, something I think I've been doing subconsciously is starting to, when I get a feeling, almost like a premonition, I try to like note it in my head. Like I had a premonition. And what I'm going to do might not end up changing, but then I will check. I will know then, oh, I did have that feeling at the beginning. And so I'll know whether or not I could trust myself or not. Ooh, I like this. That's like part of the learning process to be like, cool, I'm going to take note. Yes. We're going to experiment and then we will see which voice was like knew what they were, were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed at the beginning of No Mistakes that you thanked your husband and you said that if you want a healthy artistic life just like you know mar- like marriage marry good <laughs> basically <laughs> um so i was wondering like he's an artist as well like how like what did you mean by that like what what kind of things are in your relationship that really like help you have a healthy artistic life and can you give hope to people who are single who are not married <laughs> 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 you know what? I'll be honest. I, I just feel lucky. Like, I just feel lucky that, I mean, that, that, that is really the only thing I could write to just to say, like, I tried to make it kind of cute, but the honest to God thing is just like, I just feel lucky. Because <laughs> like, when I was growing up, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, uh, my, my parents didn't really stay together. They were separated. And I didn't really have a lot of like examples of, I don't know, marriages that I thought like, oh, that's what I want. And so I never thought that I would have one. And so when I ended up in a, in a marriage that is, that works, I was like, oh, what? This is odd. Okay. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) You know, thumbs up on this. That's Wow, look at that. And so I just, you know, we match together. I don't know if we're necessarily great on our own <laughs> or great for everybody, but, you know, it just, we, he gets me and I get him. And, and then, you know, so, yeah. I don't know. That. That's so, no, that's so sweet. I love that. They're like, you don't have to know how or why it works to appreciate that it does and, and to celebrate that it does. I think that's really sweet. Yeah, I recognize that I just got lucky. I know, I'm not going to be out here pretending like, well, this is what you should do. Like, <laughs> who the fuck knows? One thing I really enjoyed is because I'm like really into like books for artists and like workbooks for artists. And like I had done the artist's way. But one thing I like really love about your book is that it's, it's all of that, but it is there. It is infused with such a good sense of humor. And I like, I don't want to ever take myself like too seriously, but then also at the same time, I do take my art very seriously. I care a lot But I also feel the need to be able to laugh about making mistakes and being human because, I mean, the foibles of being human is hilarious. And so this book feels like such a great balance between I do care about my art, but also like life is pretty silly, you know? And so I just, that's, it's a, it's a workbook for, for artists who, you know, have a good sense of humor. Yeah, that's that's how I would describe it. To me, what it really sounds like is sort of what we talked about in the beginning of this interview of 
reaching the state of flow, like if you hold on too tight or you don't care enough, then you can't really find that sweet spot of flow to be creative. And this, this sounds like a workbook that really lives in that, that little sweet spot between like holding on too tight and not caring enough. Like it's, it's fun and playful and it helps you to tap into what you need to be an effective, creative, productive artist. It sounds amazing. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Thanks. I, I think, um, I think, I think for me, the, the, the hard thing about trying to make a, make money at something like this at, at an art is that you have to have both. You have to have a thick enough skin to survive this industry, but also a thin enough skin to be able to create. And, and that's the thing like, uh, that we were talking about earlier. You just, you, you know, you care. If you didn't care, you wouldn't do it. But when you care, you just get beat up. It's this back and forth of, how do we take care of ourselves and our heart? And, 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 and it's also like, we're talking about things that other people will laugh at. You know, we're talking about improv or we're talking about this, I'm, this silly sitcom or something like that, but it's, but it means something real. But that's the thing is that it's a deep place that all of this creativity is coming from. It's not surface level. And, and it might be surface level if you're just starting, but if you're staying with it for any length of time, it's definitely not surface level. It's something that goes to a very deep core of yourself. And so I definitely need tools in how to deal with that self care. And so, so a lot of those tools that are, that I do for myself, I kind of just peppered them in, you know, my philosophy into the, into the book. feels like something that you'd be like, yeah, I just, I wish I had had that 20 years ago. Like, it's like the type of thing that you're like, you know, because it's so you like that. And so much of what we've talked about in this conversation, I feel like is, is in there about judgment and preparation. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's really great. Highly suggested to any improvisers listening or, or artists really. Thanks. What inspired you to write this book from your perspective? Uh, this was one of those things where we were talking about opportunities. Someone had, I was on a podcast and a editor had called into the podcast after the fact and said that if I was serious about doing a, a coloring book, which is what it started as, that she would like to talk to me. So I talked to her and they said, well, not maybe not a full coloring book, but you know, if you were interested in doing a, uh, a artist workbook, we could do that. And so I buckled down and wrote a pitch that I'd never done before as far as uh, what that would be. And if, when they said yes, I said, well, then let's, do, then let's, let's figure it out. That was one of those things is like, well, you can't say no to that, even if you don't know how to do it or you don't necessarily want to do it. This You can't say no. You have to give it as much as you can. It's crazy how things come up like that, that you're like, that was an unexpected opportunity. But then something in your gut is like, you have to do that. Like, when else is this going to come along? And it's so big. Yeah. And I'm pretty good. The one thing I will say about myself is I'm pretty good at um, running hard into a wall. <laughs> I will run really hard, flat into that wall, fall on the floor, whimper, dust myself off and then be like, all right, where's that, where's that next wall? Let me run really hard into that one too. What do you think you get that courage to do that? I think I've, I've, I do have people who support and, and love me. So I, I will say that I'm, I'm lucky in that respect. I also think that I have a, a healthy sense of uh, not 
thinking so highly of myself also so that when I look like an idiot, <laughs> um, I go, yeah, well, I probably am. <laughs> and so, so I go, oh, well, they're seeing all the ugly, gross things that uh, is uh, typical about me. So, uh, so we'll just keep going. I think there's something so exciting about being asked to do something or presented with an opportunity to do something that you've never done. And quite frankly, not knowing for sure if you can pull it off, but saying yes anyway is always such a fun, scary leap. And I, I'm curious, the book is sort of filled with, you know, knowledge of things you picked up along the way and your personal philosophies. But now I'm curious of like what new things you learned in taking this on. So that book, and I even have a little sentence in the book itself is that this is the book that I needed to write in order to, this is the book I needed to read in order to write this book. Oh, I love that. So the book kind of wrote itself because every day I would be like, I fucking can't write this book. And they'd be like, oh, well, why is that? And then you'd, like, <laughs> you'd work, you'd work through like, well, what is my process that I need to get over this particular hump that I'm facing right this moment? Ah, that goes in the book too. So it kind of wrote itself in that way. But what's funny is that the, so the book that I can't write right, right now is the book called How to Be Your Own Best Friend which is a great title. So yeah. I had the title, but I don't have the book. <laughs> but it's, I feel like that's the thing that I need to learn next in order to write that book of how to be my own champion and to, to believe better for myself than I believe. Do you know when you have a best friend, you're like, dude, I see the best for you. Like you deserve so much. You deserve the best, you know, and I want the best for you. That's the thing that I have to learn in order to write uh, write that book, I think. I love that. I need to learn how to write that same exact book. I want to write it first. Oh, my God. Okay, now I... No, I'm stopping. I'm stopping the podcast right now. I'm done. I just, Bye. I'm done. <laughs> no, I... Uh, I there was this long period. My, my I've notoriously to myself been my worst friend. Like, just a friend I never want to hang out with. But, like, sometimes when I would wake up, literally the first thing I would do is I go and look myself in the mirror and I would just be like, ugh, this again? Like, oh, oh no. <laughs> then I'd be like, well, we can't do anything about it. Guess we'll go make some breakfast. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's, it's so, it sounds so ridiculous that I, I started to laugh at it. I don't know how this needs to change, but something's got to change here for sure. How long ago um, was that just this morning? When was the last time that that happened? <laughs> yeah, what was that? 30 minutes ago? I feel like I just woke up. Where am I? No, but has it been like, uh, has that been a process that has shifted? Yes. Like, how does yeah. that been? Like, why has that been? Or how has that been? I think I, I, I literally heard myself saying, I want to be my own best friend. I am tired of just cutting myself down at every moment. Like, I, I love my best friends and I aspire to be a great friend. What would my life be like if I could do that for myself? That sounds really fun because I feel like I can be really good to my friends. You're a great friend. It's, it's like any habit that you want to stop. I think it's been a whole learning process. And I feel like I regress and then make some more progress. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one steps back. Yeah. I feel judgmental of myself. And then I hear Pish talk about himself. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I must really like myself. That sounds so horrible. I don't want to wake up in the morning and be like, ah. 
this again. <laughs> so sad, buddy. You're the best. You're the literal best. I do, if, if you can be the way that you are to us, to yourself, I think you'll be great because you're very encouraging. And I always feel like a freaking champion after getting a pep talk from, from you. So just give yourself that pep talk. Agreed. And write that book, Keiko, in three years when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you said something. I think there's a, I can't remember. I'm going to paraphrase, but there's one part in your book where you're like, imagine your hero got bad news. I feel like I have a round table of my heroes that I, that talk to me and not in a schizophrenic way, but like if I feel like I don't have an answer to something, I can be like, what would this person say? And they talk to me and I'm like, yeah, okay, that is, that's right. So if it's improv, I, I feel like I'm revealing too much about how much of a weirdo I am. <laughs> I just, so weird. So I'll be like, get off stage and be beating myself up. And you'd be like, well, round table, like, I already know what Jet would say to me. Like, Jet Eveleth is going to be like, why would you be upset? Like, you just went on a ride. Like, how, how it went shouldn't affect the rest of your day, like you're doing the work, you know? And I'd be like, she would say that. Okay, I'm okay. Or if I'm like nervous for an audition, I'll, <laughs> I don't want to say everyone who's on my round table. It's too embarrassing. Katy Perry would be like, you got this, Tosh. Life is a, you're yeah, like a plastic Katie, bag Katie, yeah, through the wind. Yeah. That's a good metaphor. <laughs> Hear me out. Okay. But she, yeah, Katy Perry would be like, no, you're beautiful, girl. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, so Perfect. the round table talks to me. And often I feel like, putting my it is my voice it's not them they're not fucking there it's my voice which means that i already knew the answer but putting it in somebody else's mouth sometimes makes it easier for me to talk to myself because the me that's talking to myself that's being judgmental or harsh like i don't know why it's like i jessica chastain's just not going to talk to me like that she's just she's too nice <laughs> you know so if i put it in her mouth she'll be like do the work you're fine you know right so, now that's we know nice. the nerdiness in my brain. Oh, no. Kind of love it, though, Tosh. I really do. I think that's super smart and weird and nerdy, but also super smart. I can't remember. I, I feel like it's a thing I stole from someone. I don't remember who it was, though. But if you know who you are, thanks. I, I've wanted to ask you. I feel like I used to know the answer to this, but it's been too long since I asked. But how did Ham Radio get together and like, how long have you, you know, been playing with them? Oh, good question. Because uh, that's like my main, I feel like I've seen you play in ham radio more than anything else. And it's, it's such a, it's just great, man. And you're such a good actor when you improvise and like the relationships are so strong. So it's just, a, it's a team that I've always really liked. So I want to hear a little bit about it. Oh, thank you. Ham radio. And I'm very, very bad with years. So I don't know when, but I think it's probably the first, it probably is my first team ever because Tilt Tyree, who passed away last year, I'm not going to cry right now. I might cry a little later, but he was the first person that ever asked me to play with him. And it was at iOS and it was in the loft and he had like a bi-monthly show or something. And he called it Ham Radio and there were a bunch of different people in it. And so we did that. But but Ham Radio towards the end was a three-person group with Tilt Tyree, Deanna Reasonover, 
and myself. And my third to the last show was Tilt and I. A lot of times Deanna couldn't play, so it was uh, would be a two-person show and it would be Tilt and I. And it was one of my, if not my favorite way to play. And it was the Christmas. It was not this past Christmas, so the Christmas before when I was in Los Angeles when we did our uh, a two-person show, which was absolutely fabulous and was my last show with him. And I almost to the point where when he passed, it was the, the there were three last shows. There was a show, show with Tilt. There was the show with Andy, which was a two-person breakup show that also went really well. And there was that little Asian AF show. And the two with the two-person shows was very uh, yeah, emotional and very well connected. And I almost said that I was fine with being done with improv, that I was fine with that kind of closing that chapter of my life. And it technically still might be because I don't have a show technically that I'm committed to coming up. He, for those people who knew him, he's a, he was an incredible, special person. And I, I got to play with him in a way that I didn't, that I rarely get to play with anyone because, because I, I, tr- I knew him and trusted him so much. And I, and I think also there's something, and maybe you guys can talk about this too, because I'm sure there have been a lot of different evolutions or, or just happen, you know, times when, when you have a bigger group or smaller group. But when you, when you play two person, there's something, because I'm, I was a little bit of a wallflower player where it's hard for me to get off of the black wall. But when you're to the two person show, I had to it actually change the way I played um, because I was forced to trust myself. I couldn't stay on the back wall. And that became actually my favorite way to play. Do you, do you guys have a, uh, a favorite number of people that you like to play or does it always change depending on who and what? And, and now, and now this is putting you on your spot. Cause you're like, well, I like to play. No, I'm just kidding. I agree with you completely. There is something really special about playing with two people. I do, you know, it doesn't have the energy that an ensemble can have often. And the sort of that, like when it does come together, everyone's almost like, Whoa, you know, it doesn't have that, but I, I need space to play. I'm not very skilled at carving a path into chaos. And I, and I honestly don't even like to. I, I much prefer the the space that two people affords that you can just kind of like give and receive and you're with each other and there's not energy being inserted other way, other places. So I feel like that's my favorite number. Yeah. Even though we're a three-person team right now, right? But we, you know, at least when we were playing on stage, often it's just the two, like two people. So I'm so used to that. Um, yeah. What about you guys? I think if, if I, I really like the dynamic we have with the three of us now, I think we, when we're doing it right, we, we allow for the patience that, that gives that that is so fun about those two person shows. But if I was going to play with, not strangers, but maybe other acquaintances. I, I'd love a two person show and I no more than four, please. <laughs> you know, I just, I really like, I really like a smaller, more intimate time to really like have a scene. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, there is something about a two person set that you get to really just like lock into a person's energy. And when you're both listening to each other, there's this beautiful, like passing of energy back and forth where you can more, I feel like 
skillfully create something. But I will say I've, I've had the luck of performing with some teams that were bigger for multiple years. And there is something about having eight people on stage where you know that if you have a night, if you have something that you're called to say that's really funny, that's only maybe one line, you can just kind of come in and do this one little bit and, you know, not be tied to have it all of a sudden become this scene, which sometimes I feel like at a two-person stage, I'm like, <laughs> I want everyone to stop looking at me for a minute so I can breathe. I think I, I could be wrong about this, but I think that that show you did with Tilt was Storm Chaser's show. and we. But we were gone for Christmas, so then that that hour ended up being open. And I sort of like, I don't know why that like makes my heart so happy that that happened. Like I'm like, even though I'm not real, we weren't really a part of it. I was like, I'm so glad that we didn't do that show and that it ended up being this other thing. Yes, I mean, yeah, because uh, I'm not gonna cry, but that was really. Um, that was really special to me because I've been out of, out of town. And, and even when I am in, with town, oh, ham radio didn't, it's not one of these things where we performed every month. It was very rare that we got to perform. So the time before that show ha- had been a while. So the fact that we got to uh, have that is very, very special to me. So thanks for not being there. <laughs> yeah. Tilt somebody, he's a great person to play with. He really sees you, you know, like I just, I, one of my first, bigger improv shows was with off the cuff and it was like a reunion show so he was in town and i remember it was a short form show and getting called to go up and i was like oh tilt also got called to go up and i was like i'll be fine i was like i will be fine because i was like still such a young improviser that i was like pretty scared and then he just made me look like a fucking rock like he made me look so fucking funny even though i had no idea what i was doing yeah um and and so anyway, I just loved watching you guys play. So thanks for sharing that memory. Yeah. Uh, when he passed away, we had um, like a, a Facebook messenger thing. And, and also just just on Facebook, there's a lot of gatherings and, and messages and things like that. And and there are so many people that I didn't know. They're so and I'm, I felt like I was pretty close to Tilt. There's so many people that loved him that I had no idea about. And he, he, he was so, he, he had a massive impact in this world. And, and that it blows my mind. It, it's, it's like a treasure. It's actually what, yeah, just what I want in life to, to, to have that, to connect with people like that. Well, I know you've made an impact on my life, so. Aww. I feel kind of vulnerable right now. And I also I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to cry. But I uh <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, you're you're you are such a well you are such a welcoming person in the improv community when I moved to LA. And yeah, I just find you as an artist very inspiring. So Eko, you've been so great. I mean, to take the time out of your day for us is just super sweet. This is great. I'm gonna have to decompress from this conversation. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to look up that book. Oh yeah, I'll send you. I'll send you that book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just need your um, address, social security <laughs> number, and <laughs> password to your yes, Gmail. Sure. Okay. 
Before you go, though, we, I mean, definitely plug your stuff. Where can we follow you? Where can we buy your stuff? What can we do? Watch your shows? Oh, sure, sure. So we are at what episode did we just do? I think we just did nine. I don't know when this is coming out, but we have we have three more episodes of Prodigal Son that are coming out. It's on Tuesday nights at nine o'clock on Fox. And if, if, if you haven't watched it there, I think we're on HBO Max. That's a good plug. Um, you can get my book on Amazon or someplace else if you don't like Amazon, because Amazon's, you know, like one of those things. It's at the local Barnes and Noble. Yeah, your local Barnes and Noble or wait, wherever. And um, I'm Keiko again everywhere, which is easy because because uh, uh, there aren't too many out people out there with this name. And uh, thank you for having me. I mean, Tasha, I know very well, but you guys, I just met. Re- I mean, not met, but I mean, th- we haven't talked like this. Right. Yeah. This is, <laughs> you know, this is <laughs> great. great. This is, this is fabulous. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're a delight. Thank you. Yay. We did it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Storm Chaser Improv podcast show. And a very special thank you to Keiko for joining us. Please follow her on the socials. Maybe send her a little comment saying how much you appreciated her interview. And please check out her book, No Mistakes, a workbook for imperfect artists. And if you're not already watching Prodigal Son, hop on over to HBO Max to get all caught up before the season two finale on Fox. And if you're enjoying this show, please take a hot second to follow and or subscribe. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you already know, I'm going to kindly request that you go ahead and leave us a five-star review while you're here. As always, we love you and we want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram at StormChaserImprav, Prav, StormChaserImprav, StormChaserImprav, and on Facebook.com backslash StormChaserImprav, and check out our website, www.StormChaserImprav.com. Have a great day, y'all. Go chase the storm. Thank you for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show.